My name is Michael Albritton. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, um, thank you for being here today. I know you may have um, questions as you process the things that you've heard um, this week and last week. As we think about last week, we were in Acts chapter 14, and it was very helpful. I felt like it was very timely because in Acts chapter 14, we, we are reminded of two things we talked about, and that's that God is active, that he's always active and at work, uh, especially in the midst of conflict. And, and then the, the other thing was that believers will continue in grace and truth. Um, we were affirmed, encouraged as we looked at Acts chapter 14, that that's where we needed to be. And then I'm affirmed today, and I believe that the message and passage that we're looking at today, Acts chapter 15, has a very timely message for us as well, as we are uh, all considering and processing um, what we've talked about today. But even broader, I want to I cast our eyes a little broader as, as we look at all the things in our life that we consider. Every single day we make decisions. Um, I recently heard there's like 500 decisions or something that we make every single day. There's, so we're consistently considering, evaluating, trying to decide what's next, what's best. And sometimes they're small things like, what do I get at Chick-fil-A? And it could be bigger. It could be dating someone. It could be decisions related to marriage. It could be choices related to a career. What do I do with my, my time and my resources it's not just for ourselves, but the people that we love. Siblings, parents, kids, teenagers, people in our life, they're dealing with questions and they're looking for direction. They're considering and deciding what is the next step. I believe that Acts chapter 15 gives us some guidance. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 15, give us just a little bit of background and tee up to what's happening in this passage. We see that there's some Jews um, that are responding to Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ. So Gentile believers, uh, they've been saved, they've received the Holy Spirit, and, and there are some Jewish believers who are struggling with uh, their customs and this new way of Christianity. And in chapter in 15, verse 1, um, there's an issue of salvation. It says that if they want to be saved, uh, it's not just faith, but they also need to be circumcised. And so there were two big questions. One was salvation. In order for them to be saved, the Jewish people felt like there were some Jews who felt like, hey, there's a little more that the Gentiles need to be doing. But as we look at this passage, there's a second thing in the background that actually occurred a couple of chapters late, earlier in chapter 11. When Peter went to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit came down and he stayed there several days, some of the Jewish people, when he came back, said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? So it wasn't just a question of salvation. There's this lingering question of fellowship. How do they, how do they address salvation? What does it look like? And then how do they have fellowship between the Jewish people and the Gentile people? They were different culturally. And so Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, they stay there and they, they try to have these conversations. In fact, the, the conversation got pretty pretty sharp it got the, the dispute became great and to the point there was commotion so the all the whole group decided hey listen we need to send people down to jerusalem and we need to talk to the apostles and the elders we need to talk to the church leaders and get some guidance on what needs to happen next in acts chapter 15 i believe that we get guidance and what to focus on in our lives for any decision that we're trying to make i believe this passage gives us some truths to look at when we're trying to 
look at and consider these things. So Acts chapter 15, I'll start reading in verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that, that my, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And, make, and God made no distinction between us and them, but he purified their hearts. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, whether, whether neither us or our fathers could bear? But we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had, been, had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had finished, they became silent. And James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written in the Old Testament, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge, this is James, I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God but that we write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations been preached in the synagogues in every city, being read there on every Sabbath. In verse 6, he says that they, they met together to consider. So they met together as a group to understand, to see, to to research, to discern, to decide. They were trying to understand what the next steps needed to be. So the first thing they did, first thing we see happening is that they, number one, they leaned into the character of God. They leaned into the character of God. As Peter gets up to speak, he begins to remind them of the things that God has been doing, which is a reminder of who God is. In verse seven, he reminds them that God pursues people. He says that God chose the Gentiles to send the gospel to them. So God was pursuing them. He reminds them that God knows people. He said God knows the heart. He pursues them. He understands them. We see that God affirms people. It says that God acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, he says that God unifies them. He unifies people. He, he made no distinction between Jew or Greek. He gave them both the same spirit. And he said that God purifies people. He said he purified them by heart. Peter is reminding them of who God is, that he sees people and he pursues people. He loves people. He unifies them. He affirms them. And he cares about their purity of heart. Peter stands up to remind them who God is. But then Barnabas does the same thing. Barnabas and Paul stand up and they remind them of like what we said last week, that God is active. God is at work. And then James gets up to speak and he reminds them 
that God has always been a God who knows what he's going to do. But even back in the Old Testament, God had decided the Gentiles were going to be a part of the, the family of God. And it had always been in his plans that God knows what he's doing from the very start. In your situations, first thing you can do is lean into what you know to be true about God. Remember the times, revisit the times, even relive the times when in your soul you learned something to be true and good about God. You need to lock that in and lean on it. Hold fast to who God has been in the past so that you can be, be sure of who God is in the present and in the future. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. As we're leaning into the character of God, there is a warning here for us. There's going to be a warning in each of these this morning. The warning here is that our experience does not always define the character of God. The things that we think about God sometimes have been informed by not good circumstances. Sometimes life can lead us to believe things about God that aren't true. Maybe you grew up in a strict family. And so you believe that God punishes you when you do something bad. Or maybe you, maybe you got the idea that God will reward us with money if we do good things. See, we can learn things and think things about God that may not necessarily be reflective of who he is. Therefore, our beliefs about the character of God need to be based on the word of God. And if we see him here, then we will find the heart of God. I can think of a moment like that that happened to me a long time ago. I was early in my faith. I was working as an engineer. And over the course of like six months, I felt like God was poking at me and pushing me in a different direction. And so I started talking to friends and family, told them about kind of what I was thinking. And, they, and I was thinking about going back to school. And I had someone tell me, I said, well, if you decide to go back to school, if you go to this certain place, uh, there's a scholarship there and it'll cover everything you have that you need. And I thought, well, that's an answered prayer. That's God making a way. So I started that process. I filled out applications. I, 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 went, I got months into the process. I quit my job and was ready to move. I went to meet with the registrar's office and finalized financial aid. I went, I sat down in the office across from the head of financial aid. And I said, hey, I, I'm, I've been a, uh, there's a scholarship that I've been appointed to receive. He said, yeah, we have that on your file. It's for $400 a year which won't even cover books. And in that moment, I thought I had made a huge mistake. In that moment, I doubted my faith. I doubted what God had done. I had doubted my interpretation of what God had done. I, had, I was doubting God himself. And the guy got up and said, give me just a minute. He walks off. He comes back and he said, listen, it's pretty late in the game and we've pretty much handed out all other scholarships, but there is one scholarship we haven't handed out it's still available. You might be available for it. And he goes, and I'm going to recommend that you get it. And I said, well, how much is it for? He's like, it's a full ride. It'll cover all your expenses, all your tuition, all your books, all your living. And I was like, okay, for like a semester? He said, no, for four years. It was from a person I'd never heard of, a person I had never met. And it was in that moment that I realized that God will always provide. That God is a provider. I had read it here, but then I experienced it. 
And from that day forward, I've been able to lean into that truth, the thing I know to be true about God, that regardless of what's happening in my circumstances, regardless of what my bank account may or may not be looking like, I know that God is going to provide. In your situations, regardless of where you are and what you're looking at in your life, you need to be able to lean into the character of God to what you know to be true about him and know that that will guide you moving forward. So we can lean into the character of God. The second thing we can do is we can look for evidence of the Holy Spirit. In verse eight, it says that God acknowledged the Gentiles by giving them his Holy Spirit. Acknowledge means to affirm. It's to bear witness to, to give testimony to. It's to make it very clear to everyone there that God has affirmed them. And, and he did this later. I mean, he, he had been doing this through miracles and through wonders reported by Paul. In Barnabas, later on in this passage, James is going to say, hey, this, this decision seems good to the Holy Spirit. It seems very clear to us. The work of the Holy Spirit is one of the main markers of God moving throughout Acts. It, the Holy Spirit is named 70 times. Now, no, we're not going to go through all of those, but there's a couple of them that I can highlight. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit as he's speaking to the Sanhedrin. When Stephen gets up to speak, he says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. When Paul gets up and he's getting ready to leave through Ananias, it says he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was said to be someone who was full of the Holy Spirit. So how do we look for evidence of the Holy Spirit as we're trying to make decisions in our life and find a path forward? Well, the first thing we can do is look for fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 List them out for us. There's love, joy, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. Most of the time, the movement of God comes through the people of God. And so we can look for guidance and look for the evidence of where God is at work by looking for the fruits of the Spirit. The other thing we can do is to pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to see him. The Holy Spirit in us will open our eyes to see the Holy Spirit in other people and in other situations. Jesus himself said that he would give us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to be a helper, he says in John 14. As we're looking for evidence of the Holy Spirit, we do have a warning. And the warning is it's not everything we see, not all the evidence we see is actually from God. First John does a great job. That whole book talks about things that we are trying to test to understand is this is from God or is this not from God? And it talks about there are some things that come from the world and there are some things that we see that come from the sin within us and there are some things that we see that come from the evil one. But we need to look and lock into evidence of the Holy Spirit. We can lean into the character of God. We can look for evidence of the Holy Spirit. The third thing we can do that we see in this passage is that we can listen to the wisdom of people that are walking in the Spirit. Peter, Barnabas, Paul, and James were all credible people. They had all been affirmed, just like we just talked about. They had been affirmed and people had seen evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their life. It was clear to them that they had walked, with, were, had walked and were walking with Jesus, literally and spiritually. They had done that. This is in comparison to the people in verse 1 who, who brought up this whole situation. They're referred to just as certain men, just people. 
That's an indicative pronoun, which literally means it could just be somebody, anybody, just general. In football terms, we would call that a jag, just another guy. It wasn't necessarily anybody that the scripture says had any credibility. So credibility is the main thing. We want to listen to the wisdom of people who have credibility. I think we can go back to Galatians chapter 5 because Galatians 5 talks about as we were uh, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Well, it talks about how we can recognize the Spirit. It says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, we all live in the Spirit because the Spirit is given to us at conversion. We have that Holy Spirit living in us. But to walk by the Spirit is a choice. And we don't all walk in the Spirit, and we don't always walk in the Spirit. And Paul is saying that if we walk in the Spirit, we will have credibility. Therefore, we can look for the credibility of believers that we trust, and we see evidence in their lives, and they can become a source of wisdom, a source of guidance, a source of correction, a source of counsel. Now, what's our warning? Well, our warning is that not all words of wisdom are valid. I think about Job and his friends, and they were terrible friends because they did not give him very good advice. I think about the disciples when they were walking with Jesus. They were, they were not paying attention to Jesus because they were so busy arguing with themselves about who was going to be the greatest. Think about my own life and an example of a time when I needed counsel and this was, and I needed wisdom. And this was when I was, uh, my wife and I were engaged. We were going through premarital counseling and uh, we were, uh, most people do that with a counselor or somebody they don't know. We were doing it with my father-in-law because he was the guy doing the wedding and doing the counseling. So uh, we did premarital counseling with my father-in-law. Do not recommend that. <laughs> and one thing he said in the midst of that, he he said that people often go into marriage with their eyes kind of closed. And then when they get married, after some amount of time, they open their eyes and realize, oh my goodness, look who I, I they realize who this is the person I'm married to. And he says, no, we really, we need to go into marriage with both eyes wide open. And once we get married, we stay there by closing one eye. And I thought that was great advice. And I can buy into that advice because I could look at his example of the marriage that he was in and how he and his wife, my mother-in-law, how they treated each other and how they responded to each other and how they had cared for each other for decades. His life gave credibility to the advice that he was giving me, to the counsel that he was giving me. We can learn or we can lean into the character of God. We can look for evidence of the Holy Spirit and we can listen to the wisdom of people who are walking in the Spirit and the last thing I believe this passage tells us is that we can leverage guidance from Scripture. When James stands up to give his suggestion and recommendation of what they should do, he quotes an Old Testament verse. He actually goes to two Old Testament passages. The first one, he says that since the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles are called by my name, says the Lord it says that God knows from the beginning what he was planning. He knew what he was doing. He quotes an Old Testament verse to address the salvation question, to say this is not a question of what more they need to do. God had decided a long time ago what needed to happen. 
The second thing that he quotes is when he, he lists those four things that seem kind of odd, it says, hey, we're going to ask them uh, to do these other things. It's not a question of salvation, but it's a question of fellowship. And so he lists those things that are kind of odd. It says, uh, uh, stay away from idol, food from idols and sexual immorality and strangled meat and from blood. Now we could do a whole sermon on that stuff. But the gist of it is, is he goes back to Leviticus 17 and 18. Where in 17 and 18, God is laying out for how, the, how his people should live in the midst of a Gentile world. What was going to set them apart? And in that time and in that moment, it was some dietary restrictions. But they really came down to two things. It was really about having worship of God only and having pure relationships with people. So James concluded that, that based on this idea of worship and based on this idea of relationships, they asked the Gentiles to make some accommodations. Now, how do we use this to leverage guidance from Scripture? Well, interestingly enough, the things they asked the Gentiles to do, actually it's not something that they continued doing over a long, amount, long period of time. In fact, 50 to 75 years later, this practice really wasn't even a part of the church. Paul himself would later speak against it in Romans 14 and in 1 Timothy. He would speak against enforcing dietary laws on people. What we see are two things in this passage that comes to understanding Scripture and leveraging it in our lives. We have to identify what is descriptive and what is prescriptive. Descriptive describes those things that are a short-term, temporary um, uh, statement that's, that is restricted to the context and the time. Think about places in Scripture where we see things like about the roles of women, uh, about slavery. There's even polygamy, right? Those aren't things that, those are descriptive of what's happening in the culture at the time. If we were looking at churches, uh, if we were writing things about church in the 1950s, what people wore, songs that they sang, the instruments used, that would be descriptive. Doesn't compare to what we do today. We wear different clothes today. We don't wear suits and ties in our Sunday best. We now have drums and guitars. They didn't have that in the 50s because what was happening then was descriptive. What we need to do is, is lean into and leverage what is prescriptive which are the principles that supersede our situations. It's the principles about God that are applicable to a broader context. It's things like knowing the character of God, like walking in the fruits of the Spirit. It's like listening for God, speaking wisdom through people, through his church. In the context of this passage, the prescriptive thing was that they needed to purify their hearts, both Jews and Gentiles, their hearts needed to be pure. And the other thing that was prescriptive is that they make accommodations for each other out of love, that they come into unity and that they unify one another, be unified with one another and that they find community. And that means they have to accommodate. And so they asked the Jews out of love to accommodate their Jewish brothers. They asked the Gentiles to do this out of love for their Jewish brothers who were struggling to combine this Old Testament ways with New Testament Christianity. So for us, we want to leverage what is prescriptive. Some examples of that, 
maybe First uh, Peter and Ephesians 5, if you're looking for guidance on how to be a husband or a wife, there are things in there that are prescripted that tell us exactly how to be a good husband and a godly wife. First Timothy chapter 6, if you're looking for guidance on how to handle money, it is there. Philippians 2 talks about our thought life and how things we need to think about that are good and true. Matthew 18, Jesus talks about conflict. There are scriptures everywhere that, are, that talk to and can speak truth into the situation that you're living in and the situation that you're trying to navigate. The warning here, though, is that, our, that, is that incorrect interpretation and application is possible. We can interpret scripture wrongly and misapply it. The Jews were looking at the Old Testament and misapplying it to their situation. The Crusades were misapplied attempts to convert the world with the gospel. God gives instruction for living through his word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. 2 Timothy 3 says that scripture is good for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness. We can leverage scripture into our lives as we're making decisions, but we have to do that from a correct perspective. It's a great city family. Regardless of the situation that you're in, I believe this passage today gives us some guidance that we can lean into the character of God. We can understand who he is. Bring that to bear. Let us hold on to that. Let that be the anchor for our heart and our soul in a situation. And that as we can look for evidence of the Holy Spirit around us, where is God at work? And let me begin to lean into that. Let me listen to the wisdom of other believer, believers that are credible, that can give me guidance. And then let me look to scripture for God to speak to me. So whatever path you're looking at, whatever thing you're having to think about, whether it's career, your relationship or priorities, as we move forward personally and collectively, we have these truths to guide us. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you, God, that for thousands of years you have shepherded your people. I thank you, God, that you've given us your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to help us. I thank you, God, that you've given us your word to continue to remind us of who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us your church that we can support one another and come alongside one another to give guidance, to give help. Lord, you never, never will leave us or forsake us. And I thank you for the truths that we have in this passage. I thank you, God, that... You work in the midst of our situations, even when they're not whole, even when they're broken. And yet you promise to lead us and guide us forward. And so we pray, Lord, that you would work in us to look to you, remember who you are, bring to our minds the things you've done in the past, where we can stay true in our hearts with what you have done. We can remember those things. Give us people in our lives to look to, to get guidance from. Show us your Holy Spirit that's at work around us and point us in your word to speak specifically to the situations in our lives. And we thank you, Jesus, and we lift all these things to you in your name. Amen.